0: Chris Hemsworth news! Alright, so... This is pretty cool. I just came across this uh, this article in my Google feed. Um, If you don't know, I'm a huge MCU fan. Huge Marvel Cinematic Universe fan. um, Which kind of makes me a huge Chris Hemsworth fan. Now, I haven't seen everything that Chris, Chris Hemsworth is in. But I'm a big fan of him as Thor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I very much enjoyed the netflix film that he did called extraction and extraction is like a a, a military action film where he plays like a mercenary fantastic movie like i've seen a lot of action movies in my day like a ridiculous amount of action films and this was one of the better ones like it it, a lot of action films that you see nowadays it's just uh you know it, it it's like It's like Michael Bay trying to make the most Michael Bay movie, um, you know, (laughs) ever made. Um, But this one had substance, and it was really fucking good. I thought it was fantastic. I did a little review on it on the channel um, when it first came out, and I I don't remember how much. I don't think I went into a lot of detail of it. I just kind of gave my initial thoughts, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. So this is kind of crazy there's a this article is from cinema blend so i'm just going to go through it with you but it says this is the headline sounds like chris hemsworth's extraction franchise is about to grow in a major way now first of all (laughs) that that caught me off guard because what do you mean franchise i had never heard anything about this movie having sequels or anything actually if, if you saw the film it was kind of up in the air at the end. Um, they made it seem like he died, but they kind of left it open with like a last minute scene where he could possibly be alive. It it, it purposely, you know, leaves it open. Um, but I didn't know that they had actual plans to make a sequel. Anyway, let's get into this article. It says, in a year that saw massive movies delayed or marred by theater closures netflix's extraction proved to be a success although the chris hemsworth led film was always meant to hit streaming i don't think anyone could have predicted how much of an impact it would have not only did it receive mostly positive reviews from critics but it also became the most watched film in netflix history so it didn't come as much of a surprise when the streamer greenlit a sequel However, writer and producer Joe Russo is now teasing much more for the future of Extraction. Joe Russo, who most know for his work with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, wouldn't give too many specifics, but he says the streamer is considering creating a universe of Extraction-related films. As a result, a few of the film's characters could end up with spin-offs of their own. And this is the quote from him. I'm still not going to commit because I think it's more exciting to surprise people. But I will say this. We're working at building out a universe of films that could potentially explore some of the other characters from the first movie and some new characters and see more historical interaction between the characters. So if you're interested in David Harbour's character, you just may get to see him in a future extraction movie. It goes on to say, uh, extraction introduced a lot of interesting characters, each with a different uh, with different shades of gray. With this, there's definitely plenty of room to flesh them out. When it comes to spinoffs, David Harbour's Gaspar is definitely a prime candidate. It would be nice to see a prequel film that chronicles his life before the events of the film. It would also be cool to see young Ovi or Avi headline a film of his own. Based on Joe Russo's comments to Collider during the CCXP panel, it sounds like Joe and Anthony Russo are taking some cues from the MCU in crafting this new world. So it would seem that audiences can definitely expect a bit of crossover. Quote, We're trying to find more interesting ways to tell these stories and cross-pollinate them. We're big fans of just forging new paths and narrative. Can we go backwards and forwards at the same time? Can things that happen in the past affect the movies in the present? What are the new ways to tell those stories? And can we see different points of view? Every antagonist is the protagonist in their own story. So can we see their point of view? How do they perceive the world? What makes them empathetic? I think what makes that a compelling element to Extraction Universe is it is a global franchise telling global stories. And we'd like to diversify the point of view in these movies. The MCU has become a template for mapping out cinematic universes, though studios that have tried to replicate have ended up varying with varying results. However, the Extraction franchise does have a leg up due to the Russo brothers' involvement. During their time at Marvel, the two handled four of the biggest films in the franchise. Needless to say, they're great fits for the world of Extraction. What Extraction spin-offs would you like to see? Let us know in the comments. All right. Um, hell yeah. Hell yeah this is an example of one of those things that i didn't even know that i wanted and that's what i appreciate creators doing like i love it's something that i aim to do like give people shit that they didn't even know that they wanted right and i love that when a when a film franchise or um you know a, a series or a spin-off or something like um, a book is written i love when when a creator can can kind of um, anticipate shit that I can't even anticipate. Something that I would love to see. And especially with like spinoffs and telling stories of other characters from different points of views. Like that is awesome. Awesome. Stuff that I would never think of. Like I never sat down and said, man, I'd like to see one of these uh, kind of villains in this uh, extraction movie. I'd like to see a movie from their point of view. Like, who thinks of that? Way more creative people than me think of that. That's it. Um, anyway, I'm pretty pumped for this. Like I, like I said, I didn't know I wanted it, but now that I know it's coming, I'm like super excited. Anyway, I, I'd love to hear what you guys think. Let me know um, in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, if you're listening in podcast form, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at RealBrettscott. Um, let me know. what Which spinoff do you want to see? Um, I, I'm honestly, I'm just happy with getting a sequel, like getting another story from, from the main character. Um, because I, I'm guessing since they made the sequel and they left the ending open that he's still alive. So there's gotta be a, another story there. It's gotta be. And I would love to also, I'd love to see some prequels. I'd love to see some backstories because obvious, obviously this main character is severely, damage. He has like severe PTSD, is severe uh, you know things have happened to him in the past. Significant things. And so I wanna see I wanna see what those things are. Anyway, let me know. I, I'd love to know what you guys want to see. And also, hey, maybe you didn't even like extraction. Let me know. Do you think this is a dumb idea that they're doing this? Um you know sometimes I get tired of it too. Like I, I get tired of everything having to have a sequel or a spin-off or a universe, right? Um, but, but with this one, surprisingly, I'm I'm game. I'm I'm kind of kind of excited. All right, if you like videos or podcasts like this, um, where here's what I do: every day I try to pick a random topic, something I'm interested in, something I think is interesting to talk about, and I talk about it. Uh, it's everything from entertainment and pop culture to politics to life stories, uh, just anything that comes to mind that I feel like is uh is worth talking about. So if you can vibe with that, if that's something you're into, then please subscribe for more or favorite or follow the podcast. And if you do, if you do decide to stick around, then I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Later. All right, so the other night I was listening to Tell Him Steve Dave. If you don't know what Tell 'em Steve Dave is, it is a podcast featuring... Um, Walt Flanagan, and Brian Johnson from Comic Book Men. Comic Book Men, the show from AMC uh, that got canceled last year. And um, also features Brian Quinn, uh, Q, from the Impractical Jokers. And they were chatting like they normally do. I, I love this show. I, I listen to this every week. And um, they're chatting like normal, and... Q says to Walt, he's like, Hey, uh, would you, if you had the opportunity, would you be interested in doing it again? Would, would you be interested in doing Comic Book Man again? And this show ran for like seven seasons on AMC. And, um, and, uh, he, he wasn't sure how Walt would approach it. Like, is he just done with it at, at this point? Um, would, would he want to do all that again? And, um, to his surprise and and kind of to my surprise as well. Um, Walt was like, yeah, yeah, I'd definitely be up for doing that again. I would love to do that again. And, um, he's like, uh, really? Okay. Um, well he's like, here's what I'm thinking. He's like, I'm thinking about because Impractical Jokers is, is so big on true TV. Um, you know, we basically could do whatever we want. And um, they're, they're willing to uh, give us whatever we want because it, it's like the most successful show on True TV. And um, I think they're coming back for like their 10th season or something ridiculous. Um, and so he's like, I, I'm, I was thinking I would pitch the idea of bringing back comic book men, but to True TV instead of AMC. Um, and Walt was like ecstatic about this. He's like, D- yes. Yes, that'd be awesome, you know. Um, so, and, and and Brian as well, Brian Johnson also was like, yeah, I would, definitely would do that again. Um, and so, obviously, they, they, they still have to like talk it over with Kevin Smith, who owns the comic book store uh, that they that they ran everything out of, and I'm guessing had something to do with the contract um, with with AMC when they did the original comic book men show. And here's the thing: I am, am a huge comic book nerd. Um, I, if you look back at some of my previous videos, you might want to tell that um, I, I actually have a, uh, a a Disney Plus MCU Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that I do, and um, it's it, it, it's a big part of my life, right? Um, but I'm not going to lie and say like I, I was a diehard comic book man fan. I was always aware of the show. I thought it was a cool show. Um, you know, it, it's like the it's like the geek version of Pawn Stars, right? People come in, they try to hawk their geek stuff in the in the, in the comic book store, and um, it was just fun. It was a fun, it was a fun show. I definitely did not watch every single episode of the show, um, but I tuned in from time to time. And it had good ratings, that's what the crazy thing is, like, it, I, I'm not really sure why it got canceled. It ran for seven seasons, um, and for, especially for the time slot, like, it was on at like 11 o'clock at night, and had really good numbers for that, you know. It was on after The Walking Dead and uh, The Talking Dead. And and I, I did a video. I remember when the show got canceled, I did a video saying, like, man, I'm, I'm disappointed to see that. Like, because it was always something, like, that was there to tune into if I wanted to. And uh, when I did, I had a good time. I loved it. Um, so this is good news. I, I'm excited to hear this. And I hope it works out. And from the way that Brian Quinn is talking, it seems like it should be a shoe in. Like it should be an easy thing to accomplish. It's really just comes down to like contracts and numbers and, and you know, all that. So, um, hold on a second. Sorry, I have to fix the, uh, the rigged up lighting here. Um, but yeah, I would love to see this happen. I think it'd be, I think it'd be fantastic. And honestly, I would probably watch it more now now that I'm a huge fan of Tell 'em Steve Dave and of these people who actually uh, were the stars of the show and, and ran the comic book store, I think I would be even more excited to tune into it now than I was when it originally aired. And I'm sure like original diehards of the show are like, ah, oh, fucking poser. But it's whatever, man. Like, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Um, I, I, I just, I enjoy what I enjoy. And I really enjoy the Tell em Steve Dave podcast. And I would love to see comic book men come back. Uh, But this is cool news. And I haven't seen anyone talking about it yet. Um, Like YouTube or really much on social media. And I thought, like, I don't know. It would be something cool to bring up. So I want to hear what other people think. Like, is this something that should be done? You know, uh, okay, had a good run, but let's move on. Or do you want to see this come back? And I'm guessing a lot of the, the, the diehard fans of, the original comic book man um, would, would be ecstatic to see it come back. Um, but I, I don't know. It, it's going to be different, right? It's going to be, it's going to be in a, a different network. Um, so I'm guessing things would depend on that network, like how it would, how it would change. They, they talked about um, on this podcast, like some ideas to kind of bring new life into the show, you know, uh, possibly bringing in, um, you know, bringing in some diversity, bringing in a, a female geek to work in the, the comic book store. And I think that would be awesome. That would be awesome. There are a, a plethora of females, uh, who, you know, in the, in the, the YouTube arena, um, in the podcast arena that are diehard comic book fans have a lot of knowledge and it'd be awesome to see them thrown into the mix. Like, I, I, I think that'd be awesome. And, you know, also just to bring something else to the, you know, maybe it just got tired. You know, the same, uh, you know, four guys working in this comic book store uh, week after week after week. Uh, as much as we love those guys, uh, it'd be cool to throw something else into the mix. So, I, I'd love to hear what you guys think. What, what fans of the original show think about it coming back. And also about, you know... the the possibility of them changing some things up because obviously some things will probably change. I honestly bet they would have more creative control and I have a feeling Brian Quinn would be on the show a lot more often. Like I guess originally he was supposed to pop in a lot more often on the original and, um, it just, it just never really happened. But with them being on the same network, possibly working, um, you know, in closer proximity in terms of like, um, you know, planning things out or scripting things like, uh, you know, they might be working in in some of the same like offices or studios. I I don't know. Um, obviously, it's run out of a comic book shop, so they can't really move that location. Uh, but I'd love to see, it. and I love anything that's going to keep the comic book industry alive for just a little bit longer, because um, you know it's it's been dying out for for a long time, and it's a sad thing to see. Because man, most of the money made in Hollywood these days are it's all based on comic books. Like it's incredible. And, and it's sad to see that that original source material is is, you know, um it's dying in a way, you know. Um or it's going digital. Um so there's not as many brick and mortar stores, comic book stores. Um so I don't know. I, I want to hear what you guys have to say though. Uh let me know in the comments below if you're listening to this in podcast form. Um hit me up on social media on uh hit me up at Real Brett Scott on Twitter or Instagram. Let me know what you think. Um, If you enjoy videos like this or podcasts like this where, here's what I do here. Every day I pick a random topic to talk about something that I'm interested in and I, I hope that other people are interested in, and I talk about it. I'm not perfect. It's not every single day, but it's damn close. Damn near every single day I come through with a new topic. So if you're interested in that and getting something new and random in your feed every day, please subscribe for more or favorite or follow the podcast. If you decide to stick around, you decide to subscribe or favorite or follow, then I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks. This is probably going to be a quick one, um, but I just, I I was thinking about something today uh, while watching the latest episode of The Mandalorian. Um, This show, The Mandalorian, is saving Star Wars. In my opinion, it is saving the franchise. Hear me out on this, because... Over the past, I'd say, what, five years? Ever since uh, The Force Awakens came out, right? Uh, Slowly but surely, fans have been losing faith in the Star Wars franchise. Um, It's pretty obvious. Most fans were on board with the first film. Um, The second one, it took like this 50-50 dive where like half the fans were like, fuck this, nah, I, I, I don't like it, right? Then the third film, was so wacky because of changing directors and, and trying to change the storylines to make it fit what the new director wanted and the new writer wanted. Um, it, it, it really took a toll on the actual film and on the entire storyline. Um, now, I enjoyed all, all three of these films, um, but I do think that they go in order, like best to worst, right? Force Awakens and The Last Jedi was like, Okay. Uh, all right. They're going a little different here. Um. But I can go with it. Uh. But then the third one, it just. It was kind of like, okay, you know, it's. I guess this is Star Wars. Um. But I didn't hate any of them. Um. But a lot of fans did. Okay. And I feel like a, a good portion of the fans by the end of the third, uh, the, not third film, but the ninth film, in the franchise, um, in the Skywalker saga. By the end of that film, a good portion of fans were soured on Star Wars, you know, including me. I was like, I'm still, I'm still on board, right? Because I fucking love Star Wars. I love it. I love it way more than just the the Skywalker uh, Skywalker saga. I love the books. I love the comics. I love the animated series. Like, uh, I'm I'm pretty deep in this stuff. I like the Old Republic stuff. I like everything. Um, and even me, you know, I was kind of like, all right, you know, hopefully Disney Plus does something good with this Mandalorian series and and whatever other series they start to do. And I was definitely open-minded because I wanted, I wanted it to be good. Um, but I didn't know what to expect really. And to be completely honest, season one of the Mandalorian was good. It was good. Um, but season two is... Heads and shoulders above Season 1. It is so goddamn good. Season 2 is, for me, it's the best Star Wars we've seen since the prequels. And I know a lot of people won't like that either because a lot of people hate the prequels. Um, but, you know, I'm one of those weirdos who, who loves the prequels. I love the originals and I love the prequels. And I love all of the animated series, but most especially the Clone Wars. And I, I, this is, the, this is, this is my favorite thing since, um, since the prequels and, and the Clone Wars, 100%. And it's just so good. The writing is so good. Like John Favreau has done so good with this and brought on so many amazing, um, writers, actors, um, you know, cinematographers, uh, special effects people, it's crazy, it's all filmed in studios, not even filmed, like everything CG, and it's still so good, so good, um, and it's not just that it reminds me of the originals either, it reminds me a lot of Old Republic, or, uh, the Clone Wars stuff, it reminds me a lot of, um, the, the, the prequels, right, it's got a lot of stuff in there, hold on, let me adjust my lighting here, my little makeshift lighting, there we go, there we go. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> finishing up here. It, it's so good. Like what they've done with the second season, they've they've brought in characters. Like I said, from from what I love, the Clone Wars. Uh, they brought back characters, right? They brought back Boba Fett from the original trilogy, which everyone thought was dead. Okay, they brought him back from the dead. They brought a Katano back. Um, they brought a ton of cool characters back and introduced some new characters. And that was one of my favorite things about the clone wars is that it made the universe so vast that they could introduce all these new characters. You'd never heard of, you know, new, interesting characters and like the character that, uh, what is it? Greenfeld Greenfeld, maybe the, the character that Bill Burr plays in season one and is now back in season two. Um, awesome character. I love that character. Not, not just cause I love Bill Burr, but I think it's a cool character you got this, like, a little uh, mercenary guy. Yeah, I-, I love him. I love him. Um, but Boba Fett's strong. Um, all-, all the characters they have in here are so good. And Ahsoka. Oh, my God, dude. That, like, I'm blown away every week by the show because I keep thinking when I watch the latest episode, like, well, this has got to be the best episode this season. Like, e- even if the rest of the season is great, it's downhill from here. And then I'm proved wrong the very next week. Like... The week before, uh, actually, the, the the first one that really caught me was the one with Timothy Oliphant as, um, you know, the, the the sheriff or ranger or, or whatever he was, okay, in that town in, in the, I think it was episode two this season. Maybe it was episode one, but I loved that episode, right? Oh, it was, yeah, it was the first episode because it reminded me of Tremors, I remember. Um, but from then on, they got better each week, and when, I, when they brought on Ahsoka Tano, I was like, there's no way that it gets any better but in all honesty i think it did i think the next episode the action is so good this season so much it's like they took season one and just juiced it up to the gills on steroids it's so good man i don't know i'm just really excited to see for me it's bringing star wars back and i think most of the fans agree that the mandalorian is really good like it's not like how the other movies kind of split the fans in half or even in uh, you know, uh, into quarters. Uh, I think most fans, uh, most real, like hardcore Star Wars fans are on board with the Mandalorian. And I'm really happy to see that. And most of all, it's selfish. I'm just happy for myself that, that I get, um, the kind of stories that Star Wars that I imagine, right. When I'm reading the Star Wars novels, when I'm, uh, watching the Clone Wars for the thousandth time, like, um, when I'm re-watching the, the original trilogy and, and the, the the prequel trilogy. like In my head, there's this idea of what Star Wars is. And I feel like The Mandalorian is doing that. And I fucking love it. I just, I can't wait. I can't wait for each week. Like, I just got done with this week and I loved it. Loved it. And... Now I can't wait for next week. I can't wait. Now, season one didn't do that for me. Like, it was good, and I enjoyed it, but this season's got me really anticipating every episode. And next week is the final episode, and I'm kind of sad about that, because this season has been so damn good. Anyway, I'd love to hear what you guys think. Let me know in the comments below. Um, if you're listening to this in podcast form, hit me up on social media, Real Brett Scott on Instagram or Twitter. Let me know what you think. Also, if you like videos like this, or podcasts like this, what I do on this channel is... Every day I try to pick a random topic and talk about it, Um, stuff that's interesting to me. It's usually pop culture or entertainment related, but sometimes it's all over the place. It's random thoughts that I have, Um, but I try to upload every single day. I'm not perfect, but most days I put some content out there. So if that's something you can vibe with, please subscribe for more. And if you you decide to subscribe or favorite or follow the podcast, uh, then I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks. We are going to talk about a lot in this episode. We're going to talk about COVID-19 treatments and vaccinations and the fact that African Americans are more skeptical of these treatments and vaccinations on average than any other race or ethnicity and dig in to a possible explanation for why this might be. We're going to talk about the sexually transmitted disease syphilis. And we're going to talk about a part of US history that you may or may not be aware of, known as the Tuskegee Experiment. Now, this one might run a little long because I have numerous subjects to discuss, several articles to go through, and plenty of my own thoughts to share And and I wanted to get as much info as possible, and I wanted to get it right. Now, I pulled from three different sources for all the information I'm going to present in the video. And I will link them all in the description if you want to dive in deeper to any of these subjects. So, go check those out if you're interested. But for now, let's get this show on the road. People are skeptical. A significant portion of Americans are at least hesitant to trust COVID-19 treatments and especially vaccinations. And there are several reasons including but not limited to the fact that this is still a very new disease that scientists and medical professionals are still studying and finding new things every day. Also, the vaccines were fast-tracked like never before in history, at least that I can recall. They've never developed a vaccine this fast, like so quickly, to deal with a novel disease. So it stands to reason that people would naturally be skeptical when it comes to the viability and the safety and the side effects of the treatments for such a new sickness, that we still don't fully understand. Now, while I said that many Americans are skeptical, no one, it seems, is more skeptical of these treatments than black Americans. And just so you know that I'm not talking out of my ass here, here's an article from Pew Research that talks about just that. All right, as I said, this article is from Pew Research Center and this came out June 4th, 2020. The headline is, Black Americans face higher COVID-19 risks, but are more hesitant to trust medical scientists and get vaccinated. Black Americans have been hit hard by the coronavirus outbreak, accounting for a disproportionate share of COVID-19 deaths. At the same time, they stand out from other racial and ethnic groups in their attitudes toward key healthcare questions associated with the outbreak. In particular, Black adults are more hesitant to trust medical scientists, embrace the use of experimental medical treatments, and sign up for a potential vaccine to combat the illness, according to a recent Pew Research Center survey. And then they have um, they have a a big graph here, but this this kind of this kind of tells what it is. Nationally, Black Americans account for about 13% of the U.S. population, but 24% of the coronavirus deaths for which racial or ethnic information was available as of June 2nd. The disparity is particularly wide in some states. In Kansas and Wisconsin, Black people account for 6% of each state's population but 29% and 26% of deaths respectively the biggest proportional disparities out of the states for which demographic data on the coronavirus deaths is available in Missouri blacks account for 12% of population but 37% of deaths in eight states overall the black share of coronavirus deaths is at least twice as high as the black share the population. Public health experts have offered a mix of explanations for these disparities. They include higher rates of pre-existing health conditions that increase the risk of complications from coronavirus, social and economic factors that contribute to health risk, and long-standing inequities in healthcare across um, access and outcomes for Black Americans compared with other racial and ethnic groups. The experiences and attitudes of Black Americans during the coronavirus pandemic have drawn national attention. This analysis is based on data from multiple sources. Data about the COVID-19 deaths among Black Americans is drawn from the COVID Tracking Project. Um, Okay, and then it goes on to tell where the data came from. Um, Here are the questions used for this report along with responses, its methodology. In the center's recent survey conducted April 29th to May 5th among 10,957 U.S. adults, around 7 in 10 black adults, 71%, said public health officials like those at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are doing an excellent job or good job responding to coronavirus outbreak. The views of black Americans on this question are about the same as those of Hispanic and white adults. But when it comes to broader expectations and trust in medical researchers, black adults are more wary. For example, 35% of black Americans have a great deal of confidence in medical scientists to act in the public interest, compared with 43% of white adults. Similar patterns appear on other questions too. Around half of black Americans, 53%, have a mostly positive view of medical research and scientists, compared with around two-thirds of Hispanics, 67%, and 68% white adults. And around 6 in 10 black adults have a mostly positive view of medical doctors, versus 75% of white adults. The less trusting and less positive overall views that black adults express toward medical experts are in line with those documented in past center surveys. In January 2019 survey, for instance, black Americans expressed more mixed views about the effects that science has had on society, and they were more likely than whites to say misconduct among medical experts is a big problem. In the more recent survey, black adults also expressed more wariness than Hispanic and white adults about some forms of medical care, including expanding access to experimental drugs before clinical trials are completed, and is occurring now with uh, the coronavirus patients. A 57% majority of black adults say the risks of expanding experimental treatments outweigh the benefits, while 41% say the benefits outweigh the risks. Hispanic, 53%, and white adults, 63%, are more likely than black adults to say the benefits outweigh the risks. Meanwhile, a little over half of black adults, 54%, say they would definitely or probably get a coronavirus vaccine if one were available today, while 44% say they would not. Hispanic and white adults are far more likely to say they would get the vaccine. 74% in both groups say they would, while around a quarter say they would not. So, as I said, I, uh, <laughs> I researched this a little bit. I'm not just talking out of my ass, um, this, this is real. Uh, it's a real thing. I'm not just making things up. It's not just my view of things. Um, it, it's documented. This is how different races and ethnicities uh, feel about medical research and science kind of overall and how trusting they are of you know experimental treatments or new treatments and vaccines. Um, so, so it's a thing. And now uh, the next thing I'm going to dig into... It might seem unrelated at first, but when we get to today's main point, um, the main story that I wanted to talk about today, which is the Tuskegee study, uh, I said the Tuskegee experiment earlier, but it's uh, officially it's called the Tuskegee study, um, then it will make a lot more sense. But right now, we're going to talk about syphilis. That's right, the sexually transmitted disease, syphilis. So, just to give you a a quick little, most people know what syphilis is, you know, um, but I think it's it's important to reiterate some of these main points uh, just because of what we're going to be talking about. So, syphilis is a bacterial infection usually spread by sexual contact that starts as a painless sore. Syphilis develops in stages, this is important, and symptoms vary with each stage. Now, the stages they have listed here, stage one, three to 90 days after exposure, you get a sore, and that's basically it, and it can be painless, right? Stage two, which happens four to 10 weeks after the initial infection, you get a body rash, which they say can also be uh, not that big of a deal. It's a rash. It's kind of painless most of the time. Sometimes it's a little itchy. Otherwise, you're not seeing major health problems. But this is where it gets dangerous. This is where it gets wacky. Okay, Stage three affects internal organs. Stage three sets in three to 15 years after initial infection. And I have a list here of kind of like, what what happens there stage three the final stage can result in damage to the brain nerves eyes and heart now before there was regular treatment for for uh, for syphilis which is it's just penicillin um regular antibiotics will clear up syphilis no big deal you go to your doctor and it used to be you would have to get a shot or a series of shots nowadays you know they just give you a a Z pack, you know. They, they they give you a a set of antibiotics to take, just like if you had, um, you know, an upper respiratory infection or something like that. Some, some some sort of bacterial infection. Very easy to nip it in the bud. Um, but before that, you know, and and people who don't get treatment, um, this was a big deal. This was uh, syphilis was a really big deal um, in history. If you go back before the, the the discovery that penicillin could be used for syphilis, um, and before we even had antibiotics at all, um, it was a major it was a major reason for deaths. Um, a lot of people were dying from syphilis. A lot of people. I mean, this is like it, it'll be in later stages of life, right? They wouldn't even know they had it, and then something really bad would happen, um, you know, they would have problems with their heart, or with their lungs, or, um, other internal organs, or some people even went fucking crazy, um, they, you know, they developed problems in their brain, um, and and would have, like, psychotic breaks toward, you know, toward the end of life before it basically killed them, Uh, I believe, um, Al Capone ended up dying from syphilis, like, there is a lot of, of, um, famous people who ended up, the the official, you know, way that they died, the official uh, reason for death on their death certificate is syphilis. I mean, this was like a pretty common disease that would eventually harm you very badly and lead to your death um, before it was easily treatable. So that's a that's syphilis for you and now we're going to get into what what this episode is really all about and that is the tuskegee study all right before i dig into this article i'm going to give you a general overview of the tuskegee study um this was something pretty diabolical okay this was I, I call it an experiment and some people call it an experiment but it's a, officially it was a study right um, what they did in the late 1920s is they decided this is medical researchers um, government entities um, they, they they wanted to see what the long-term effects of syphilis were on African Americans. And this was a this is a major problem with African Americans. Um, they they weren't they, they were having different problems than other ethnicities when it came to um, syphilis and how it affected them um, at later stages. But they didn't know enough about it. So these researchers wanted to find out what happens when you do not do any kind of treatment for African-Americans with syphilis. And so they did this. Let, let, let me just dig into the article now. That, that's the overview, okay? Um, they, they did these experiments. Uh, they did this study without the knowledge of the people that were in the study. They did not tell the participants that they were part of a study. All they told them is that they were getting free health care. And these people, some of them were sick, some of them were not, right? That's how you do a study. You take healthy people and you take sick people and and you do placebo tests and you see what... But all they were doing here, they were telling them that they were treating them for, uh, quote, bad blood, which is a... It's an all-encompassing term that they used back then for a a host of diseases, a, a bunch of different ailments, right, that they didn't quite know what they were. They would call them bad blood, right? And syphilis was one of these things. And so they told these participants, you're getting free medical treatment from the government. It's a government program. We're going to give you free medical treatment to treat your bad blood, right? Uh, What they were really doing is giving them placebo. They were giving them sugar pills. They were giving them nothing at all. And pretending like they were giving them medications, treatments, right? And, And this was before, like I said, we had a a, a readily available treatment that we knew worked. Right, you can knock it right out with penicillin. Um, they did not know that at this stage. Um, they, they, but they did have treatments for it. The only problem is in this in this uh, study they were doing, they weren't actually giving anyone any kind of treatment. They were giving them all placebo, and they were just comparing the healthy participants with the ones that had syphilis and they were watching to see what happens and documenting it and that was it that was it and the worst part of it um i mean we'll we'll dig in really deep in this article but the worst part of it was that even when they discovered years later that the best treatment was to use penicillin to knock this thing right out and cure people of the disease they kept the fucking experiment going they didn't tell them they didn't tell them they were part of a study they didn't tell them they had syphilis they didn't tell them they had a cure for it nothing they just kept watching these people get worse and worse through the years so let me it's 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 absolutely like it, it's a porn it's it's ridiculous it's it's terrible right but I, I think Maybe even with this information if I if I dig into this article I think you're gonna um, be even be even more appalled so here we go this is an old article this is from uh, May 16 2017 uh, but it was updated July 29th 2019 okay Tuskegee experiment the infamous syphilis study the Tuske- the Tuskegee experiment began in 1932 at a time when there was no known treatment for syphilis. After being recruited by the promise of free medical care, 600 men originally were enrolled in the project. The participants were primarily sharecroppers, and many had never before visited a doctor. Doctors from the U.S. Public Health Service, which was running the study, informed the participants, 399 men with latent syphilis, and a control group of 201 others who were free of the disease. They were being treated for bad blood, a term commonly used in the area at the time to refer to a variety of ailments. The men were monitored by health workers, but only given placebos such as aspirin and mineral supplements, despite the fact penicillin became recommended treatment for syphilis in 1947. Right? This is about, what, 15 years later? PHS researchers convinced local physicians in Macon County not to treat the participants, and research was done at the Tuskegee Tuskegee Institute, now called Tuskegee University. The school was founded in 1881 with Booker T. Washington as its first teacher. In order to track the disease's full progression, researchers provided no effective care as the men died, went blind, or insane or experienced other severe health problems due to their untreated syphilis. In the mid-1960s, a PHS venereal disease investigator in San Francisco named Peter Buxton found out about the Tuskegee study and expressed his concerns to his superiors, that it was unethical. In response, PHS officials formed a committee to review the study, but ultimately opted to continue it. With the goal of tracking the participants until all had died, autopsies were performed and the project data could be analyzed. As a result, Buxton leaked the story to a reporter friend who passed it on to a fellow reporter at the Associated Press. Gene Heller broke the story in July 1972. So this is like 30 years after the study started prompting public health outrage or pu- prompting public outrage and forcing the study to shut down. By that time, though, 28 participants had perished from syphilis. 100 more had passed away from related complications. At least 40 spouses had been diagnosed with it, and the disease had been passed to 19 children at birth. In 1973, Congress held hearings on the Tuskegee experiments, and the following year, the study's surviving participants, along with their heirs and those who died, received a $10 million out-of-court settlement. Additionally, new guidelines were issued to protect human subjects in U.S. government-funded research projects. In 1947, the Nuremberg Code was established in response to Nazi physicians forcibly performing gruesome experiments on prisoners concentration camps during World War II. The document set forth basic ethical principles for medical research involving human subjects, such as the requirement that a person must give informed consent before participating in an experiment. As a result of the Tuskegee experiment, many African Americans developed a lingering deep mistrust for public health officials. In part, To foster racial healing, President Clinton issued a 1997 apology, stating the United States government did something that was wrong, deeply, profoundly, morally wrong. It is not only in remembering that shameful past that we can make amends and repair our nation, but it is in remembering that past that we can build a better present and future. During his apology, the president announced plans for the the establishment. Of Tuskegee University's National Center for Bioethics in Research and Healthcare. The final study participant passed away in 2004. In 2010, President Barack Obama and other federal officials apologized for another unethical U.S. sponsored medical study conducted decades earlier in Guatemala. In that study, from 1946 to 1948, nearly 700 men and women. Prisoners, soldiers, mental patients were intentionally infected with syphilis. Hundreds more people were exposed to other STDs as part of the study, without their knowledge or consent. The purpose of the study was to determine whether penicillin could prevent, not just cure syphilis infection. Some of those who became infected never received medical treatment. The results of the study, which took place with the cooperation of Guatemalan government officials, were never published. The American public health research researcher in charge of the project, John Cutler, went to become a lead researcher in the Tuskegee experiments. So, that's it. That's, a uh, that's the Tuskegee experiment, the Tuskegee study, and it's fucking terrible. Um, I didn't know the details of this study. In fact, I, I heard from someone at some point that, that um, they had intentionally given these participants uh, syphilis. Now, while I wouldn't put that past, um, obviously you can't put it past uh, our government and, and uh, <laughs> these medical researchers to do these things can't put it past them because they did it they did it in guatemala right they're saying it right here um but i think i think where i got those mixed up is what it was i I think i got it mixed up i thought the tuskegee experiment was the one where they where they injected them with syphilis to see what would happen um and while it's uh it's not quite that diabolical it's still supremely fucked up it's still like a horrible thing to do to another human being. Like to, to to pretend like you're helping someone and and just be watching them suffer and, and seeing what happens like yeah. I mean it's more than unethical. It's just wrong. It's just wrong at that basic level. Um but yeah I never knew the details of this so I'm I'm really glad I dug into it. Uh, this actually came as a suggestion from my wife um, we were driving in the car one day and, and she asked like, if I knew about this and I was like, uh, yeah, I think I've, I think I've heard of that. And she's like, well, that's what you should be talking about on, on the, uh, your daily podcast there. Maybe that's a subject you can do. And so I was like, uh, all right, you know, I'll look into it. I'll, I'll see if, uh, it's something I can bring to the podcast or bring to the YouTube channel. So, um, thank you to my wife, Eva, for that suggestion, because I learned something and I hope. I hope that some, some listeners, um, some viewers learned something new. Maybe there's some people who had never heard of this or didn't know the details of it, like me, um, that learned something today. So, um, yeah, uh, I, th- th- that was my point, obviously, in bringing up the, the mistrust of medical research and government entities within the African-American community. Um, and how it's higher than any other racial or ethnic group. And uh, yeah, I, I t- fuck yeah, I mean why wouldn't you be m- more mistrusting? It's, it's common sense to be. Um, yeah, I, how how could you not have a, a lingering mistrust um, when when you may have heard about this, or had this even passed down through generations of like, hey, you can't trust these people in power or these people who, you know, are saying they want to help you because they might be doing something nefarious. Like, makes total sense to me. Total sense. So, um, uh, you know, I mean that was on me to try to tie that together, this uh this kind of recent story with something from the past, and hopefully it gelled well. Hopefully it, it, it made sense to put those things together and I didn't just uh throw two random topics together for you guys. I I hope that um, putting them together made it a better episode. Um, But I'd love to hear what you guys think. Or, you know, I didn't go into super detail on this. Maybe you have some stuff to share. Let me know. um, And and let me know what you thought of this podcast. Because, I, you know, I'm kind of inspired by Dan Cummins' uh, Time Suck podcast. And I, I really like doing these kind of deeper dives into a subject and I'm especially into history. So, you know, that might be a thing going forward where I, I do kind of a, a historical deep dive on something. Uh, maybe it'll just be once a week or something, but, but that's something I'd like to do because I've always been interested in history and, you know, I've, I've always kind of had this thing where I wanted to, to someday teach history. I, I don't know if I would ever do that, but, um, but it's fun for me to, to dive into stuff that I don't know about, and I think it's cool if I can share that information with other people. So this might be a thing I keep going, um, if that's something that you guys are into. Um, if not, you know, I, I might still do it anyway, because that's kind of what I do on this channel. But um, it, it, if, if you enjoy this episode, uh, please like it, please share it uh, if you think it's important information. And if you like what I do here, what I do on this channel is I cover a random topic every day. Uh, a lot of times it's entertainment and pop culture related, but sometimes it's just thoughts on, um, you know, the current state of affairs in the world, um, politics, um, stories from my dysfunctional uh, youth, <laughs> different things. Um, but I try to put out an episode every day. I'm not perfect, but most days I'm putting some content out there. If that's something you can vibe with, if, that, if you want something new in your feed every day, uh, please subscribe to the YouTube channel or favorite or follow the podcast And um, if you decide to do that, if you decide to stick around, then I will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks.